Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is gendered language for God. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzalo, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I am Dawn Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, now this is actually my topic yeah, for the day. Yeah, you came in ready for this one. I did. We were sitting in church, and the final hymn uh-huh. had the lyrics written out, as it does, and it was the capital F and Father that my husband turned to me and said, this is something I never, ever would have questioned or even thought about or noticed mm. in the past, but he's noticing it now. Mm. I just did a little, like eyebrow raise thing, which yeah. doesn't translate on Not microphones. So well. Yeah. But I was fascinated by that as a person who did not grow up in the Lutheran church, but sure. being female and identifying that way, it has always been obvious to me. It's been very gendered language in the yeah. church. Yeah, absolutely. And then it also, I think, came to his attention mainly or most recently because of the book tour with Pastor Lenny and uh-huh. one of the questions in the question and opinion section, because he says he doesn't have answers, but he has lots of opinions, uh-huh. was about the gendered language. And for those who have different viewpoints of what gender and sexuality are for them, how that makes them feel when they come to church. Yeah. And it's something, again, that if you grow up cisgendered and in your traditional Midwestern setting, does not come up at all or is likely to even be something you think about. So I'm here asking, yeah, where are we in the Lutheran Church with this? (laughs) All over. Yeah. This is another area where our documentation would call it bound conscience. Well, that's a fancy word that means nothing to me. Yeah. Well, that's pretty much... Okay. Well, so what it means is that we are committed to remaining in relationship to each other even when we disagree. Okay. So to those of you who think it's gendered language, you have a point, but we're not quite sure where to go from here? No, it's one of those that if you really need he, him pronouns for God, then you can use that. Okay. And if you need to not have that, then you can do that too. Okay. But likelihood is that you probably won't worship in the same space together. Okay. Comfortably. And that we are just going to be okay with having a vast spectrum within the denomination of folks who really care about having non-gendered language or even explicitly female gendered language. Okay. And those who prefer or default to masculine gendered language for God. So we're going to have it all kind of available and all around. And a general push in seminaries and in our education, Okay, this will be something you'll find interesting. In my very first class at seminary, we were told, if you write a paper with gendered language for God, you will automatically be deducted an entire level of grade. Really? So your paper will go, if it's an A paper, you'll automatically receive a B. And I wrote my first paper and I turned it in and he turned it back to me. He said, you have one warning. Did you even realize you did this? Oh. And I had he, him everywhere. Oh, fascinating. And I had not realized that I had done it. No. Totally didn't see it. Totally didn't recognize it. Took the B on the paper sure, and fixed it and didn't do it again. So I would say that part of the reason why I'm not saying that I have an easy time 
with pronouns being accurate or switching up gender language or those kinds of things for people, I have an easier time than many because I actively practice it. Sure. When it comes to language about God, you get used to just saying God or the divine or the Holy One. Well, this was going to be my next question mm -hmm. to you is how did you break that habit? It's hard. And what I think gets hard about it is feeling like you're being too repetitious. Oh, like okay. If you use the kind of, well, God said this and then God did this and God did that and God did that and God did the other thing. And then there's always when God, you're talking about God to say that God did. And you're saying the word God over and over and over again. I'm fascinated that it's the repetitiousness and not the potential awkwardness of trying to come up with another way of saying things, which is where I think most people today have problems with the gendered language because yeah, they feel say, awkward using some other strange term. Sure. Just use the name. Okay. In the same way that if I prefer non-gendered language for my pronouns and you don't always remember them, you can just call me Amanda okay. or pastor. But it does get hard mm -hmm. to always be saying, well, you know, I was talking to Amanda the other day and Amanda told me that Amanda went to the place where mm -hmm. Amanda likes to eat. Amanda went to Townsend's Tea because Amanda really likes their mm -hmm. tea there and Amanda purchased like it gets repetitious. We have pronouns to shorten our language, to keep things less bulky when we're talking. Okay. But it's very possible, especially with God. There's so many ways that you can refer to God and reference God that you can get creative and you can use other things and other ways to refer to God. You can also use gendered language. Just choose it. Don't do it by default. Okay. Whether you're choosing feminine language or masculine language or neutral language or switching it back and forth, whichever way you use it, just do it with intention and recognize that you're doing it. I think that's over half the battle. Okay. So to clarify then, the ELCA as a whole is all anything. There's no one right way or wrong way to do it. Correct. So it's to the individual churches. Correct. Okay. And let's use this church as an example. Mm -hmm. Has it come up as an issue, the gendered language? So this congregation, prior to my arrival here and prior to the interims that were here, so it's been six years that I was here and two years for those interims, so eight years ago, this congregation was completely gender neutral. Oh, really? And it's language for God. All the way through the hymns. So if the word Lord was in a hymn, it was not being sung here. Oh, that's fascinating. So it's been a huge shift over the last eight years to have gendered language returning into this space. Wow. That's not really what I would have guessed. I know. And in some ways, I wonder if I have, by allowing gendered words to return into the sanctuary in the sense of choosing hymns or using the NRSV for our scripture, which still has gendered language within mm -hmm. it, if by doing that, I have in some way set us back or shifted us on a pathway that's different. I do have such a strong value have having us hear things in a similar way to the church body at large. And I do have a strong value of using hymnody that connects us back to generations before us. Okay. That I think that that value superseded holding this line against gendered language. But then I do have a responsibility to make certain that the use of gendered language then is balanced. Sure. Which I probably do not do well enough. 
we probably have much more still historically masculine gendered language within our liturgy and within our hymns and within those kinds of pieces that are a part of what we're singing that I'm not countering with explicitly feminine imagery. So definitely a part of the conversation around here and one that with staff changes is where the shifting has happened. Sure. Well, that makes perfect sense. I guess my next question to you is when you're looking at the materials that come out from the ELCA, like the hymnals Mm -hmm. and the Lutheran Book of Worship, has that language changed over the years? It has changed over the years, but not to be explicitly non-gendered. Okay. And I think part of it is that a lot of those prayers are very traditional and have roots back in gendered language and patriarchy and all of that stuff. Okay. There are inclusions that counter some of that masculine language. And at the same time, the other week when we had the sermon about Mary and Martha, Mm -hmm. we sang the hymn for all the faithful women. And Martin and I were both looking at it because it's the same hymn tune as another one very close by, like for all the faithful saints or something like that, Uh that has both men and women within it. But this one is specifically has all women within all the verses. We're choosing, you know, what verses we're going to do. We're going to do the Mary and Martha verse and we're going to do the opening verse. And then we're like, well, what's the doxology verse? The doxology verse and for all the faithful women hymn used the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Well... No. In the other hymn that had dual genders within it. Yeah. It used God the Creator, Savior, and and Martin and I were looking at it going like, seriously. Come on. Seriously. They like couldn't handle leaving it all feminine. And they had to check in Father, Son, and Holy. Anyway, so there's still a ways to go. Oh, sure. It's, yeah, a long ways to go. So for those voices within the ELCA who are trying to change this gendered language, Mm -hmm. where are they starting? Are they just going full bore, cross the board, hymns, liturgy, everything? Or are they picking and choosing their battles? It depends on the congregation and the individuals leading it. There's a congregation in San Francisco that is really powerful and has done a lot of stuff. They use only exclusively feminine imagery for God. Oh, lovely. And it receives, especially 10 years ago, it just received so much hate. I bet you it did. And so much cruelty. Oh, yeah. Well, when the Dogma movie came out from Kevin Smith and they had Alanis Morissette playing God. Right. That had a lot of people on edge. Right. It's one of those that... I don't know why it's so upsetting, but Nadia Boltzweber's Pastrix book, mm-hmm. that title comes from a term that is used as a disparaging term against female preachers. Mm. And one of the first times that she was called that was in an article where one of my good friends was also named that. And it was because Megan was serving at her church in San Francisco. And I've been to her church and it's a beautiful space. And it's powerful what they're reclaiming and powerful how they're entering into the divine. And it makes people very anxious, Mm -hmm. which to me says there must be something good about it. Sure. (laughs) So you can go as far as her church has gone, or you can go somewhere in the middle, or you can work really hard just to remove all gendered language out. If you work really hard to remove all gendered language out, there's going to be a lot of tweaking of hymns that you need to do. Sure. A lot of printing your own hymns in your bulletin so you can change the lyrics. Sure. Lots of little pieces like that are going to have to happen. 
And the translation that I would recommend is called the inclusive scriptures. So it's called the inclusive Hebrew scriptures or the inclusive New Testament. And it works real hard to remove gendered language out of everything. Okay. It's not easy to find. You can't just look it up online and copy and paste the way you can the NRSV or some of the others. That makes sense. You have to buy it. It's Mm -hmm. spendy. They're big volumes. It's much harder to get a hold of. So it's not as accessible. Sure. I think that if we were to try and find ways to make things like the inclusive scriptures or other things more accessible, it would be more realistic for congregations to dive into this. But when it's the difference between, if you think of our small rural congregations where you have a pastor on staff. Well, that's being shared for a couple of congregations, potentially. And potentially not a lot of budget. Mm -hmm. When pastors are looking at, do I do three more visits this week? Or do I hand type out the scriptures from the inclusive, right? It comes down to hours in the day and how do you choose your priority in ministry? And it's not that removing gender isn't really important. It's just that sometimes it doesn't reach the level of importance that has it at the prominence that perhaps we might want it to. Well, at least until it becomes important for enough people Mm-hmm. To give it that kind of monetary push and backing, I'm guessing. And time. Mm-hmm. Resource, yeah. So who would you say is the biggest proponent for all of this? Because I'm going to say that most people who listen to this, at least in the Midwest, are thinking that it's women. And it's the women who are now pastors who are pushing for less gendered. But it's bigger than that, correct? It's um LGBTQI thing as well. Yeah, I think that, you know, I'm my face is looking puzzled and I'm staring off and pondering as you're asking me the question because I think that perhaps there were feminine voices who called for this to begin with, but it is far more than a feminine issue. Mm-hmm. I think that whenever we limit God, whenever we limit the image we have of the divine or the understanding we have of the divine into any one form or figure or shape, we limit our understanding of God. Mm -hmm. And to limit God into a masculine form or to limit God into a feminine form really limits our opportunities to interact or imagine or all kinds of things. So God can't fit in a box. God doesn't have a white beard and sit on a no, throne. No, he doesn't right? have to be an old white man. No, really. I really, no. Mm-hmm. Doesn't, you know, that, that kind of imagery, I don't know that it serves anybody well. The voices that are calling for this kind of release of a gendered, anthropomorphized, is that the right word? Sure. Where you like give something that is not human a human form. Mm-hmm. Those of us who are calling to get rid of that kind of understanding, it, it has much more to do with freedom of opportunity for interaction with the divine and creativity and openness of spirit than it has to do with, I need my way. I mean, even if it is, I need my way and feminism, mm-hmm. then great, go for that. It's much broader than that. It's much larger. And for those of us within our communities who are non-binary, who are trans, who are genderqueer, all of those kinds of things, to use so much gendered language doesn't leave room for the spirit to fly and flow and be fabulous Sure. in all the different ways that the Holy Spirit can be fabulous. So there's a good reason to either remove it or play with it Okay. within our liturgies, our music, our prayers, all of those things. 
So you said when you got here, we were completely gender neutral, we being Central Lutheran Church. It, well, two years before I arrived here, they started moving away from that. Okay. So when I got here, it was kind of gender neutral, what but kind not of, completely gone. Okay. What kind of pushback one way or the other have you gotten? Is it people who are fine with bringing both genders in or is it people are let's go back to the way it was because we thought it was just fine i would say there were a couple of folks who really recognize it when there's something super gendered sure and who mention it like hey could we not Mm -hmm. like that one's real real gendered could we not go there Mm -hmm. and so i watch for that as much as possible a little bit i probably need to do more of that right now but mostly, I think, because I never preach about a male God, mm-hmm. I hear it when I use masculine images for God. It stands out in your own head. It really stands out in my own head. So that might happen once a month. Other than that, I keep things fairly neutral, at least in my preaching and my speaking and prayers and those kinds of things. The hymnody is where it falters. The hymnody mm. and in the actual scripture readings is where most of the gendered stuff comes in. So I think that if I had suddenly come in and was like preaching about God and how he loves us, that that would have hit roadblocks. Sure. But since I just talk about God's love for us, then we can have some of this other stuff come in from our tradition that isn't quite as painful. Sure. I guess I would assume that if you started using gender neutral language, it would not be, I don't know, brought up at all. Nobody would really bat an eye. However, if you started using strictly female, Mm -hmm. that probably would raise a few eyebrows and get you a lot more feedback. Probably. And that's one of those pieces, maybe a time or two, it's worth the shock value. Sure. But generally speaking, I tend to remove gender from God. Which I think is about the best way to go. You know, not only is God not male or female, God is not one being, but three. Sure. Right? There's all kinds of non-binary, don't chart it, don't try to make God into something. Sure. Just let the divine be bigger than us. It's really okay. Yeah. (laughs) And I kind of prefer it that way. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But when it comes to a hymn, like, for all the faithful women... Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not going to sing verse three when it brings <laughs> up the father and the son. Like, no, we don't need this suddenly coming into this game. We were doing well with all the women. We're going to leave it with the women. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, that's going to lead me to my last question. If you're in a congregation and it's something that's important to you to mm-hmm. get to a less gendered language, where do you start? Start with assessing where the gendered language is coming in. Okay. So take a look and see, is it coming in primarily through your hymns and scripture? And if so, then can you talk with whoever is choosing your hymns about this and how to increase variety or decrease a focus on the misogynistic patriarchal kind of hymnody? If it's coming from your scripture translation, maybe check out the inclusive. See if you're reading the NIV instead of the NRSV, because the NRSV at least is more gender neutral than the NIV is. Sure. Also, the contemporary English version, the CEV, is also pretty good about removing gender from a lot of things, which is really nice. So check out what translation is being read within your worship service. And if it's a translation that is pretty gendered, go ahead and go talk to your leadership about it. It can be scary. So maybe invite your pastor to a one-to-one coffee tea. Have that conversation with them individually. 
and talk with the people around you about it, right? Say, well, this really matters to me. Here's why this really matters to me. I really wish that I could imagine God in bigger ways than just a guy. Where would you go to help me learn how to imagine God in bigger ways? So in some ways that can open a conversation about the expansiveness of God rather than your entire history of how you've talked about God is wrong. (laughs) Which is not as helpful. Which is fair and true Mm -hmm. and might close doors and shut down conversation before you get anywhere. Mm -hmm. So if you go in with this, I really want to imagine God in bigger ways. I'm having a very hard time connecting with this image. What are some of the other metaphors for God for me to explore? Because there's thousands of them. So you can really open up conversation that way. So I would start there. If the gendered language is really heavily coming from the preaching or the speaking or the prayers that are being written by your community, Mm -hmm. again, talking with those individuals and saying something like, I don't need to give anybody a line reading, but clearly this image of God as a fathering figure has resonated for you. I'm having a real hard time accessing that. And I would love to have another metaphor. Do you have any suggestions? How else could I imagine God so that I can enjoy as bright and valuable a relationship as you do? Oh, nice. You know, it's twisty. It's political. Some people will call me out on, you know, and say, that's a bunch of bullshit and you're just playing the game. But If I'm looking to open up doors and open conversations and make change in a congregation that is using strongly gendered language, chances are Mm -hmm. going in with some gentleness and being that river that... The hoops are worth it. ...sets a new pathway slowly Mm -hmm. and consistently can be a powerful thing. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about gendered language for God. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I, and thank you all for joining us on the conversation. If you have a particular hymn that is non-gendered and would like to share that with us, we'd love to hear from you. If you have a hymn that is really gendered, but you like it in spite of that, that would be interesting to me as well. It would be great to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, or you can always email us at podcast at centralportland.org. Until we are back in your ears again, remember... God loves you, no matter what.